What a wonderful truth. I need Thee, oh I need Thee. Every hour I need Thee. You know, there's a difference between those whom Jesus demonstrated grace to and those whom Jesus gave the law. If we look at the story of Zacchaeus, we look at the story, contrast that story with the story of the rich young ruler. Zacchaeus climbed up in a tree because he realized, I need you. More than I need everything that I have, more than I need the things of this world, I need Jesus. And he found grace. The woman caught in adultery realized, I need Jesus. More than I need anything. The rich young ruler said, I've got my righteousness. I don't need you. And he did not find grace. When we come to the place when we realize that our righteousness is as filthy rags. And we know we need him. That's when we find grace, full and free. If you've got your Bibles, I invite you to open up to the book of Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. As we continue our study in the book of Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 31. As we study Matthew, we remember and we understand that Matthew was written by Matthew. See, y'all are paying attention. Matthew was written by Matthew, and Matthew was written to a very specific audience, and the specific audience to which Matthew was written was the Jews. And Matthew was written not only to a specific audience, but to present Jesus in a specific light, to present Jesus in a specific theme, and that was Jesus as the son of David. Very good. Jesus as the son of David, as the promised Messiah. So we have Matthew wrote to the Jews to present Jesus as the son of David. So Matthew chapter 10. Verses 16 through 31. We looked at last week that Jesus sends out the 12 disciples and he gives them some very specific instructions. And not only does he give them very specific instructions, but he warns them. And this is where we're going to pick up this morning. Verses 16 through 31. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. And you shall even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not become anxious about what you will say, for it shall be given to you in that hour what you are to speak. For it is not you who speaks, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. And brother will deliver up brother to death, and father is child, and children will rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all on account of my name. But as the one who has endured to the end, he will be saved. Whenever they persecute you in this city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you shall not finish going through all of the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become as his teacher, and the slave as his master. If they have called him the head of the house of Beelzebul, how much more will the members of his household? Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, and hidden that will not be known. What I will tell you in the darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear, whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, 
but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for one cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But the very hairs of your head are numbered. Therefore, do not fear, for you are more valuable than many sparrows. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you count us valuable, that you see us as worthy, worthy enough to send your own son as a ransom for our sin. Lord, this morning, may we see the trials and the hardships before us as an opportunity to demonstrate the glory of Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This week is Thanksgiving. Many of us are excited about turkey and dressing, and we are on, on about 1 or 2 o'clock on Thursday. We're going to be so full of food that we're, we're just going to pass out and sleep through the next two hours of the football game and, and, and wake up and, and do it all over again that night. And we're just going to gorge ourselves. And this is, this is the time of year where, 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 we, where we traditionally give thanks. And, and this is the time of year where uh, you know, all of us who've been complaining for 11 months on Facebook, we spend 30 days and we stop complaining and we give thanks. For 30 days on Facebook, and then we'll go back to complaining for the next 30 for the next uh, 11 months. But this is the time of year whenever we give thanks, and it's interesting that that Paul tells us that we are to continually give thanks. We're to give thanks in all circumstances. But as as Western Americans, as as people who are who are inundated with instant gratification. We gripe and we complain when our computer takes too long to boot up. We gripe and complain whenever, whenever Cox is down and we can't get our, 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 our email or we can't, uh, we can't order our, our uh, Netflix online and we can't get our movies instantly. We have been programmed to, to gripe and complain about everything, and yet Jesus tells us that we're to give thanks in all circumstances. Jesus sends his disciples out. Gives them very specific instructions and then, and then tells them, oh, by the way, as you go, when you go, you will encounter various trials amongst your way. You'll be beaten, you'll be flogged, you'll be thrown in prison, you'll be driven out of the city. Things are not going to go well for you. You may even have to give your life. Brother will kill brother, father will kill his son. And so Jesus encourages his disciples with these words. And the disciples were very excited to hear that news, right? Imagine, if you will, you've just seen Jesus perform all these miracles, heal all of these diseases, cast out all these demons. You're going out with the power of Christ. You're going out with the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says, oh, by the way, they're probably going to kill you. (laughs) Sign me up. I pray that as you leave this place this morning, that you'll be able to glorify God in and through your trials. If you live long enough, you will encounter trials, hardships, persecution, difficulties in your life. In fact, Paul tells, the, uh, Paul tells Timothy, his young disciple, he said, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer hardship, will suffer persecution. 
and it's interesting, Jesus sends his disciples out knowing full well what they would incur. I was about 16 years old. <clears throat> I had been driving for about a year. I remember it very vividly. My dad got home from work about 5.30 or 6 o'clock, and he said, hey, my truck's about empty. Why don't you go run to the gas station and put some gas in it? So I said, sure. So he throws me the keys. I get in the car. I drive about quarter of a mile, half a mile, and then the truck just dies. This is before, and, and young people, I know this is hard for you to believe, this is before a time when there was a cell phone. They didn't exist. We had the bag phones, but, 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 but we weren't wealthy enough to have the bag phone. So, so I'm in the car, I'm in the truck, and I'm driving down the highway to the, to the gas station, and the truck just dies. So what do I do? I pull off the side of the road, I get out of the truck, I walk the next three quarters of a mile to the gas station, I purchase a gas can, I fill it up with gas, I walk back to the truck, put the gas in the, in the truck, and then drive the truck and finish filling up the gas. About an hour later, I get back home. And I walk into the house and I start fussing and yelling and screaming at my dad, Dad, you gave me the keys, and the, the, I didn't even make it to the gas station. I had to, and, and I tell him the whole story, and he just sits in his recliner and giggles. He just laughs. He says, yeah, I figured that would happen. <laughs> I said, well, then why did you give me the keys and tell me to go? He goes, well, don't you think you'll need to know what to do if you run out of gas? And I said, well, he's got a point. My dad sent me to the gas station knowing full well that that truck would run out of gas. But he did so intentionally, purposefully. He says, as a 16-year-old boy, you're going to need to know what to do if your car runs out of gas. There's a reason why dads should take their kids outside and say, let me show you how to change a tire. Let me show you how to change the oil. Let me show you what to do whenever these things happen. Jesus sends his disciples out, knowing full well what was coming knowing full well that they would incur hardships, that they would incur trial, that they would incur persecution. Why? Because Jesus himself had experienced it. Go to Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. We've already studied this a few months ago. Okay, let's be honest, it was longer than that. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Before Jesus begins his ministry... He is led by the Spirit of God, where? Into trials, into tribulation, into hardship, for the specific purpose, for the express purpose of being tempted by the enemy. He himself had experienced it. There is a certainty of trials. There is a certainty of trials. It is tempting to think that Christians who live a life of obedience, who strive to honor Christ with all that they do. It's tempting to think that we will then be rewarded with a life void of tough, painful circumstances. That's the temptation. That if we just do what's right, if we just honor God with our life, then we will be rewarded with a life of, of, of ease and a life of free of pain and free of hardships and free of trial. 
But that is nowhere in Scripture, church. Look at the most faithful believers in all of human history. The apostles themselves, every one of them, without exception, died a martyr's death. You say, well, John didn't. That's only because they couldn't kill him. They put him in a vat of boiling oil. They couldn't kill him, so they exiled him to the Isle of Patmos after they tried to kill him multiple times. The Apostle Paul hanged. The author of the Gospel Mark beheaded. Polycarp, the disciple of John, burnt at the stake. Faithful follower after faithful follower died a martyr's death. It is unbiblical to think that a life of obedience will be rewarded with a life free of pain and hardships and a life free from trials and persecution. In fact, the scripture is conversely true. It says all those who desire to live faithful in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. James chapter 1, verse 2, James says this. He says, My brethren, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials and tribulation. He doesn't say consider it punishment from God. He says consider it joy when you encounter various trials and tribulation. Verse 3 says, Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be complete, lacking in nothing. There is a certainty of trials. There is a certainty of of trials. So where do these trials come from? Well, let's look at the text. The persecution comes from the religious. It comes from the religious. Look at verse uh, Matthew chapter 10. Verse 6 uh, verse 17. But beware of men for they will deliver you up to the courts and scourge you where in their synagogues. In the place of worship for the Jewish people, they will deliver you up and they will scourge you and they will beat you. Beware of the trials because they will come and they will come at the hands of the religious. The religious, and this is what I want to point out to us, church, even in our own religion, we are blinded by our piety. We are blinded by our rule keeping. We are blinded by our own laws and our own man-made traditions and our own man-made rituals that 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 give us a sense of piety and give us a sense of holiness that we're blinded by our own piety that we are unable to see the grace of god that we are unable to see god at work god shows up through grace god is demonstrated most brilliantly through acts of grace not acts of the law the religious being blinded by their own piety, are oblivious to God's work of grace. The certainty of trials not only comes from the religious, but it comes from the government. Historically, throughout the church, the church has been persecuted by the government. Historically. It's always happened, and newsflash church, it always will. Go to 1 Peter chapter 4. This isn't, I didn't give you this, Chris, I apologize. First Peter chapter 4. Peter is writing to the church as they're scattered throughout Asia Minor. He's writing to the church. 
Nero is the governor, I'm sorry, is the emperor of Rome. Verse 12, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though something strange were happening to you. As Nero is lighting Christians on fire and using them to, to light the city streets of Rome and light the, the courts. Peter says, when they light you on fire, don't think that something strange is happening to you. But to the degree, verse 13, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing that you may also, at the revelation of his glory, may rejoice with exaltation. This is at the hand of the government. They are suffering persecution. Under Domitian and under Diocletian, under the Roman government, there will be thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Christians killed. Oh, but just wait, it gets better. When the Christians come into control, when the corrupt religious come into control, they start burning people at the stake because they disagree with their interpretation of Scripture, because they argue about the tradition of the church, and they say the authority of Scripture is more important than the tradition of the church, and they say, okay, well, if you believe that, then we'll just kill you. By the religious, by the government. Thousands upon thousands in communist China, when communism took over, thousands upon thousands of believers in Christ were executed. In communist Russia, when communism took over, thousands upon thousands of believers were slaughtered. And there will come a day, I believe, as fearful as it is, there will come a day when the government here in this country will begin to persecute the church. Not only does persecution come from the religious, but persecution comes from the government as well as the family. Look at Matthew chapter 10. Jesus says, verse 21, And brother will deliver up brother to death, and father his child, and children will rise up against parents, and cause them to be put to death, you will be hated by all on account of my namesake. What is Jesus saying? I want us to understand what, what he's saying. Now, now, I want to pause here for just a moment, and I want to remind us that most of this prophecy, most of this warning, is Jesus foretelling future events. Because Jesus is going to send out the twelve, and they're going to come back, and most of this stuff is not going to happen. Most of this will take place in a post-Pentecostal evangelism, a post-Pentecostal world. And so this is Jesus telling them, beware that yes, I'm sending you out now, but there's going to come a time when I will send you out as lambs to the slaughter, that I will send you out as sheep amongst wolves. And it will be that post-Pentecostal age. It will be that, that time whenever Jesus says, and you'll receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And he will send us out as disciples. He will send them out very specifically and he will send us and you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses. Matthew chapter 28. And uh, uh, go ye therefore and make disciples baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you, teaching them to observe all that I am commanded. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There is coming a time when Jesus will send out the disciples, not just for a period of testing and a period of teaching, but he will send them out as, as witnesses to the world, as ambassadors for Christ. And so much of this is a foretelling of a post-Pentecostal age. 
But Jesus makes the statement. He says, you will receive persecution from the religious. You will receive persecution from the government. And you will receive persecution from the family. What is he saying? He's saying those people that love you the most, those people that, 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 that you feel the closest to, those people who, who love you more than anybody else in the world, they will love self and sin more than they love you. This is a cruel reality, church, that as sinners, as, as born into this world, we are by nature sinners. And the truth of the reality of the gospel is this, is that as sinners, we love ourselves more than we love our family. And you say, preacher, there's nothing I wouldn't do for my kids. I'm not arguing that. I would give my life. I'm not arguing that even the slightest. But why? Because if something were to happen to your children, who would hurt the most? If your children are safe in the arms of a loving God, and by some horrific tragedy, they're snatched from you, who is it that hurts? It's us. So the reality is, is that as a sinner, as a, David said, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. And if we know ourselves, we know that we're liars, we're thieves, we're sinners. And if we're honest with ourselves, we love ourselves and we love sin much more than we love anything else. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, apart from Christ, apart from being born again, brother will love himself and his sin much more than he will love God. Father will love himself and will love sin much more than they love God. Jesus is speaking of the depravity of man in this statement. And we need to hear that. That in a world apart from Christ, persecution will come and it will come from the religious it will come from the government it will come from our family all of those institutions that are designed to protect us that are designed to 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 give us comfort and to give us to give us shelter are going to be the very instruments and very the institutions that turn away from god and the things of god so what's jesus's admonition what's his encouragement look at verse 16 chapter 10 Matthew chapter 10. So he warns them. He says, oh, by the way, things aren't going to be good. Things are going to be bad. Persecution is inevitable. There is a certainty of trial. So Jesus' admonition is this. Be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. How do we encounter fear in the midst of trials jesus gives us a very specific admonition he says be shrewd be prudent be discerning as serpents now i believe that snakes are the devil it's in the bible i am i am on solid ground when i say snakes are the devil they can move they don't have any legs there's something's not right about that but Jesus says to the disciples, he says, I want you to be like the serpent. I want you to be shrewd, cunning, discerning like the serpent. Now, I hate snakes. I think that they are the devil. Uh, I, if, if, 
if somebody walks in with a snake, I'm walking out the door. I don't like snakes. Uh, I, I think that they are terrifying. Uh, but something that is very interesting about the serpent is a serpent will always flee if there's an opportunity versus fight. Always. Why? Because he understands that my chance of survival is, is greatly increased if I am able to, to get out of this dangerous situation than if I stick around. The snake, the serpent, is unbelievably discerning. He is able to determine and he is able to detect harm long before it ever shows up. He is able to, to, to escape harm's way long before, long before we even, oftentimes before we even realize that he's there. And so what is Jesus' admonition to the disciples? He says, don't be idiots. Don't be foolish. You are going out as sheep amongst wolves. Understand that the world out there is desiring to destroy you. That you are the one who is, who is vulnerable. You are the one who are trying to be light in a dark place. That the world is, icky, is wicked and evil. That the world desires to, to destroy you. Be wise, not foolish. Don't give yourself an opportunity to be destroyed. Don't, just because the world hates you, just because the world wants to destroy you, don't be foolish and give yourself over to them, but be innocent as doves. That, that, that word innocent is, is literally the word undefiled. So he, he gives them this instruction. He says, be wise and discerning, yet blameless, undefiled. Give them no opportunity to challenge your character. What's interesting is that your character will always outlast your reputation. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15. The Apostle Peter tells this to the church that is undergoing persecution, that are being lied against. You know, in fact, whenever the church was, was beginning, it was beginning to thrive and was beginning to grow, there were accusations against the church. The world accused the church of cannibalism. The Romans, the Jews, they accused the church of cannibalism because every time they gathered together, they would eat and drink the flesh and blood of Jesus. So they were cannibals. So they lied about these, these disciples of Jesus. They accused them of incestuous orgies. They said every time they get together, they greet one another with a holy kiss and it's brothers and sisters in Christ and they're, they're getting married and having babies and, 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 and who knows what they do in those secret meetings. They accuse them of, of cannibalism, of, of incest. They accuse them. They accuse them of atheism. They said they don't worship the gods of the Romans. They don't worship the gods of the Greek. In fact, they don't worship any gods. And what did Peter say? In chapter 2, verse 15, Peter said this, but this is the will of God, by doing what's right, you'll silence the ignorance of foolish men. Because our character will outlast our reputation. 
And so he said this. He said, be wise, be cunning, be discerning, but be innocent. Be blameless. Let them persecute you for doing what's right. Let them persecute you for being a man of righteousness, but be innocent, be blameless, be without, be without uh, uh, charge, be, be innocent, be undefiled. Fear is a tool of the enemy. Whenever we allow ourselves to think about that which is coming, it is easy to become fearful. When we read the stories of the martyrs, when we read the stories of Polycarp, when we read the stories of even modern day believers who have given their life to Christ and end up dying a martyr's death, it's easy to become fearful of that which is going to happen. What's going to happen whenever, whenever God removes His, His protection from this country and the enemy is allowed to, to persecute the church? What's going to happen? It's easy to become fearful. It's easy to watch the news and see what takes place in Paris and see what's take place across the world and see the terrorist attacks and to see what has taken place and to think that, that it's just a matter of time. It's easy to become fearful. But church, I want us to hear the admonition of Jesus because he says this to his church. Look at, look at the text. Look at verse 26. Therefore, do not fear them, for there's nothing covered that will be revealed, that will not be revealed, and there's nothing hidden that will not be known. Jesus says, do not fear. If you skip down a little bit further, Verse 30, he says, The very hair on your head are all numbered. Therefore, do not fear. Fear is a tool of Satan. Fear is a tool that Satan uses to paralyze us. It tells us in Timothy, I'm sorry, it tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 1, 7. Paul told Timothy, he says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power and love and a sound mind. So fear, we understand, is not of God, because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but God has given us a spirit of, of power, and love, and a sound mind. The, David the psalmist says, what times I am afraid, I will trust in the Lord. Fear comes from the enemy. Fear is a tool that the enemy uses. And it's interestingly enough that fear almost always is greater in the darkness. How many of us, when we were children, were afraid of the dark? And for those of us who are not raising their hands, we're just afraid to raise our hands. Why? Because in the darkness... That coat hanging on the wall looks like a bad guy. In the darkness, whenever that closet is open and there's a hat sitting on top of the dresser, that hat looks like somebody peering into our bedroom looking at us. In the darkness, things are not as they, 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 are, they appear differently than they are. But what happens when we turn on that light? We see, oh, that's just a coat hanging on a coat rack. Oh, that's just a, a hat sitting on top of the dresser. Oh, that's just whatever it may be. 
Interestingly enough, Jesus makes this statement in John chapter 15, verse 4. He says, in John chapter 15, Jesus makes this wonderful statement. He says, abide in me, live in me, and I will live in you. Make your home in me, and I will make my home in you. Home is symbolic of safety. Home is where we feel safe, where we are comforted. Jesus says, I will be your home. Live in me. And when the world, when the certainty of trials come, you will have comfort, you will have safety in me. There is a certainty of trials. There is a certainty of trials. There is oftentimes fear in trials. But I want us to notice the boldness that he encourages his disciples. That we're to have boldness in trials. But I want us to notice that the boldness and comfort does not come from the disciples. Go back to Matthew chapter 10. Where does their boldness come from? Where does their comfort come from? Because it doesn't come from their ability. He doesn't say, look guys, you're a bunch of big, strong fishermen. You're a bunch of of very well-equipped men. You're grown men. There's no reason for you to be afraid of the government. There's no reason for you to be afraid of the religious leaders. There's no reason for you to be afraid of your family. You're grown men. That is not Jesus' admonition. What is his admonition? He says, if I take care of the sparrows, I'm going to take care of you. Jesus' comfort is not in their ability, but it's in Christ. It is in his sovereignty. It says, it says he knows your hair. He knows every hair that is upon your head. He protects everything. He is the sustainer and author of life. And if he protects the sparrow, is he not able to protect you? There's our comfort, church. Jesus said, go ye therefore make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And this is the comfort. I will be with you. All authority has been given unto me, and I will be with you. This is the comfort he says in John chapter 14. John chapter 14, he says, it's necessary that I go. The disciples are saying, dude, if you go, it's going to be bad. Jesus said, no, it's necessary that I go, because if I go, one that is coming after me, the helper, the Holy Spirit, he will come and he will inhabit you and he will live in you and he will equip you and he will teach you all that I have. He will bring to your remembrance all that I have taught you. The Holy Spirit will be with you. The comfort in the midst of trials is not in their ability, church. It's not in our ability. Our comfort is not that we can be good. Our comfort in the midst of trials of persecution is not that we can pray enough. It's not that we can give enough to the church. It's not that we can go to enough Bible studies to be good enough. Our comfort is that Christ was already good enough. Our comfort is that Christ has already defeated addiction. Our comfort is that Christ has already given comfort to the widow. Christ has already defeated sin, death, and the grave. Our comfort is not in what we can do, but in what Christ has already done. There is a certainty of trials, church. And when you leave this place, 
there is more certainty that you will endure hardships and trials than you will endure blessings. Why? Because we live in a fallen world. And the enemy wants us to live in fear. He wants us to live in the fear of what will people think when I show up to church and my daughter's pregnant? What will people think when I show up to church and they can smell the liquor on my breath? What will people think if I show up to church and they smell the cigarette smoke on me? What will people think if I show up to church and they can see the bloodshot eyes? Fear is a tool of the enemy. God wants us to live in grace, not in fear. The grace of God says, I have already overcome. Sin has already been defeated. Where sin abounds, their grace abounds that much more. So this morning, I just have one simple question for you. Will you allow God to be glorified in your trials? Or, Will you live in fear? The truth of the gospel is that Christ has overcome. And greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. In just a few moments, Joel's going to come and he's going to lead us in a song. And as he sings that song, I want you to listen to the lyrics of this song. Jesus did not come for the righteous. He did not come for all of those who've got it all together. But he came for those who need grace. Let's pray. Father, we understand that trials are inevitable. We understand We understand that if we live long enough in this world that we will endure hardships, we will endure persecution, we will endure difficulty. Lord, the enemy would desire for us to live in fear of those imminent trials, persecutions, and hardships. But your word tells us that you've not given us a spirit of fear, but perfect love casts out fear. And perfect love is demonstrated in Jesus. There are those here this morning who've been paralyzed by fear, a tool of the enemy. If that's you this morning, maybe you need to come to this altar and pray. Maybe you need to grab somebody and come with you. Jesus said, come as you are. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. On this Sunday before Thanksgiving, maybe you need to come and give your life to Jesus and say, preacher, I, I can't be good enough anymore. I've tried and tried and tried to be good enough. I need to trust in what Jesus has already done.
Maybe you need to follow the Lord by being baptized. Maybe you need to become a member here at Redeemer. Whatever it is the Holy Spirit is dealing with your heart about this morning, may today be the day of obedience. In Jesus' name we pray.